good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Mark chapter 15. And we'll read together from the verse number 33. Mark 15 and verse number 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Amen. May God bless his word to your hearts again today for his name's sake. From our motto text last week, we saw that God the Father had so ordained the affairs of his creation that his Son would have the preeminence God has so ordained the affairs of this world that his son would have the preeminence. The son, co-equal and co-eternal, is the architect and the governor of creation. And he's also the head, the beginning, and the firstborn over redemption. His preeminence is seen in creation, in providence, and in redemption. It is significant, therefore, I believe, in light of his preeminence and redemption, it is significant that in the account of the cross, we have the testimony from an unlikely source regarding the preeminence of the Son of God. At the time when the Savior is seemingly broken and defeated, we hear a Gentile soldier proclaiming the preeminence of a dying man. Truly, verse 39 this man was the Son of God, the centurion. According to Matthew, he did not give a testimony on his own, but here he is viewed as a central testimony in the Gospel of Mark. And he said, having seen the Savior die, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. His testimony is recorded in sacred writ. It is part of the testimony of the evangelists. The fact that it is recorded is crucial as we seek to discern its meaning because there is some degree of discussion, debate regarding what was meant when the centurion said, truly this man was the son of God. And the debate arises in part because of the original language. In the original language, in the Greek, there is no indefinite article. And so in the indefinite article, the word an or a, there is no such word, no such letter, uh, no such word in the original Greek. And thus, if there is no definite article, 
And if there is no the in the original, then often the indefinite article is presumed. So in the absence of a the in the original, uh, then you presume that a is meant rather than the. Hope you followed all that. But what that means, therefore, is that when the centurion spoke, some say what he said was, truly this man was a son of a god. And therefore they say he was a Roman centurion, and simply what he is doing is ascribing the unusual nature of this death and ascribing a pagan statement to the death of the Son of God. Yes, the death is unusual, therefore he must be a son of a god. If that is the case, then Mark records the event to show that an experienced soldier recognized that this was no ordinary death. And of course, the Lord's death was unique. He laid down his life. No one took it from him. He died at the time that God had appointed. He was in control of the events. And thus he died with a strong cry. And the centurion recognized that event. He cried, verse 37, with a loud voice. And voluntarily he gave up the ghost. Yet surely there is more to the centurion's statement than that of a pagan attributing pagan uh, philosophy or pagan theology to the person of Jesus Christ. There's more to it than that. The grammar itself does not shut us into putting A, and thankfully our translators have not put A in anywhere, and they've capitalized the Son of God in capitals. Praise God for the translators of our authorized version. Because they understand correctly that when a name or a title is used in the original, then sometimes the definite article is not included. And therefore you still can say, the son of the gods. That is appropriate, even in the original language. And what is further, the soldier may well have spoken in Latin, which don't use the definite article at all. And therefore, again, our translators could have been following the Latin into the Greek. But be that as it may, and that's all interesting and it's all part of Bible study, but there's much more to the situation here than simply the language that the centurion used. And I want to look at a statement and again show you this statement is a statement from the account of the cross of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Think about the context of his statement to begin with. The context. His words stand in contrast to the mocking of the Jews and the unmoved soldiers who were happy to cast lots for his garment. The general climate of his statement is one of mockery and scoffing and scorn. And in that situation, this leading soldier, this centurion, says... Truly, this man was the Son of God. So there's something about it in the context. But then also note the content of his statement. He says, this man was the Son of God. Now, I don't believe that he plucked that idea out of nowhere. Rather, I think the word truly indicates that he is bearing testimony to things he has already heard. I believe he would have been aware of the discussion recorded in John chapter 19, where it says in verse 7, the Jews answered him, that is Pilate, we have a law and by our law he ought to die because he made himself 
the Son of God. And those Jews, they were not attributing to Christ that he was a son of a God. They were saying that he claimed to be God himself. Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And so I believe the centurion would have been aware that that testimony was being uh, noised abroad. He claimed to be the son of God. And furthermore, in Matthew 27, the verse number 43, it says this, as they were mocking him on the cross, the Jews said, He trusted in God. Let him now deliver him, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So the centurion, I believe, would have been aware of the discussion around Pilate's judgment hall. But certainly would have heard the mockery of the Jews at the cross, where they said, He said, I am the Son of God. And in that context, the centurion then comes at truly... Truly, this man was the Son of God. But what is more is that what Mark records is not all that was said by the centurion. Again, the gospel writers, for their own reason, uh, they highlight certain aspects of the story. But if you think about Luke chapter 23 and the verse number 47, it says this, Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly... This was a righteous man. So the statement is not simply that he was a son of God, but also that he was a righteous man. And again, you think of what the centurion may have been aware of. Mark chapter 15, you're in Mark. Mark 15 and verse 14. And then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? Pilate recognized this man was a righteous man. In John chapter 19, the verse number 4, you read these words. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. So here we find that in the context of the cross, it was publicly uh, recognized that he claimed to be the Son of God. Furthermore, we find that Pilate saying he found no fault in him. And now we come to the cross itself, and the Son of God dies, and the centurion says, Truly, this man was the Son of God, and truly this man was a righteous man. And Luke adds another detail. Again, Luke adds in chapter 23, verse 47, that the centurion glorified God in these words. I, again, understand that people can glorify God without, uh, without necessarily their understanding being there. It may be a, a, an attributing to God those things are true of God without understanding being involved. The inanimate creation glorifies God. But I think what we're seeing here is a picture of what happens in uh, Romans chapter 5. Turn to sorry, Romans 15, please. Turn to Romans 15. Romans 15. Because in Romans 15, we have an account of the fulfillment of Scripture. In Romans 15, the verse number 6 says, That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here to glorify God is, is to be synonymous with believing in the gospel. And then in verse number in verse number 8 it says, And now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the, unto the fathers, and 
that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. And so do we not see in Luke's testimony of the centurion, a Gentile glorifying God as he exercises his faith in the Son of God? I think we're here reading a man who heard the things regarding the Son of God on the cross and now was giving his personal testimony to those claims. Which leads to the third thing, and that is the cause of his statement. Mark again tells us that the statement arises as the centurion saw the manner of his death. Verse 39, And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said... He saw the manner of his death. He heard the unusual event of a man speaking from the cross with a loud voice. Such was the nature of crucifixion that a loud voice was essentially impossible. But the power of God and the person of Christ enabled him to cry with a loud voice. What did he hear? Well, there are sayings of Christ and the cross that follow the, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He would have heard, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Luke 23. He would have heard, John 19.30, it is finished. Now, Matthew, he includes the event of the earthquake. The centurion took note of this earthquake. And yes, the events themselves, they all lay weight to the fact that this was a supernatural death. This was no ordinary crucifixion. But from all of the evidence, what he heard in the surrounding situation, what he heard from Christ on the cross, how Christ died, and the event that surrounded him, caused this Gentile centurion to say, this man is the Son of God. He glorifies God. He confesses Christ. The scriptures are given that we would join with the centurion and believe what he believed. Mark 1 verse 1 describes the gospel as being the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John's gospel is written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing he may have life through his name. Take this centurion. Even a hardened Gentile centurion came to believe these things as he watched Christ die upon the cross. We hear the claims. And some of you perhaps are here and you're not quite sure what you think about being a Christian. Perhaps some of you young people are at that time in your life where you're wondering, what direction will you go? Will you follow your parents' saviour? Or will you go your own way and do your own thing? Well, let me show you the example of this centurion. He heard things. He saw things. He weighed up what he heard and what he saw, and he came to a very simple conclusion. Jesus Christ is Lord. And his life would never be the same again. Because having thought about the context and the content and the cause of a statement, note the conviction of a statement. Though unpopular, he does not keep his thinking to himself. This man is dying on the cross. The multitudes around are scoffing and mocking him, yet he bears public, audible testimony 
to the faith that now rests in his heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I believe very firmly this centurion is now in glory. A saved man, who even now is with the Savior that he watched die upon the cross. It is wonderful to think that some, someone who had so much to do physically with the death of Christ was saved by that death. And yet is that not true for us all? We had much to do with the cause of the death of Christ. And though we by our sins cause his death, yet we are saved by that death. Pictured for us in the salvation of this centurion. And pictured for us all as we meet around this table. And as you take the bread and you take the cup, you remember that you are the cause of the body broken and the cause of the blood shed. And yet by being the cause, God in his mercy is pleased to save you from your sins. Wondrous grace. Wondrous gospel. The cross, the finished triumphant work of Christ shows forth his preeminence. The simplest confession of the New Testament church was Jesus Christ is Lord. And may that be your testimony today as you take of these elements for the honor and glory of Christ's name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified. Thank you.